Well, welcome to church. So glad to see you on this January 6th. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Are you excited about the new year? Say amen. Amen. Awesome. We're glad you're here today. My name is Danny, Danny Forshee. I'm the pastor here at Great Hills, and I'm honored to be able to bring God's Word to you. Thank you, Pastor Ochester, for preaching a fine message last week on angels. And so we're just delighted to be in God's house at this time and to be able to preach God's Word. If you're new to Great Hills, and and many of you may be, we are in a a series of messages we're uh, we're calling Preaching the Paintings. And there are seven of these that we have been studying, some of these classic, historic, religious works of art, really masterpieces that we have been studying. And today, we get to study one that is called The Still Life with the Bible. And it is a Van Gogh painting, and I'm going to show it to you in just a moment. And uh, I was telling somebody just a minute ago, you know, I'm trying to figure out which one of these is my favorite. And this one is either at the top or very, very close to being number one. And I'll show it to you in just a few minutes as we're studying the scriptures. And speaking of the Bible, you know, I hear a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. If you're not ashamed or embarrassed about it and you made a New Year's resolution, would you just raise your hand? Let me, let me see your hand. Okay, bless you. The rest of you are not telling the truth. But anyhow, no. I, and, and, you know, people, people are kind of down on, all oh, New Year's resolutions, but I'm, I'm kind of up on them. I, and one of them that I hear often is, you know, this next year, I'm going to try my best and I'm going to make a commitment to God to read the Bible every day. Have you ever heard that one? Or maybe you made that one this year that I'm going to read the scriptures daily. And it's a habit that I have kept for many, many years in my own life. And, and I, I want to encourage you with that. This whole sermon today is centered on the book, on the Bible, on the Word of God. It is God's treasure. It is God's gift to us. He speaks to us incredibly, profoundly through the Scriptures, through the written Word of God, and of course through Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. And I want to make you a promise. If you'll take on the spiritual discipline of reading the Bible every day, devotionally, then I'll make you a promise that God will speak to you through it. He will encourage you. He will guide you. In fact, our primary verse today is God's word is a lamp unto my feet, and it is a light unto my path. So I read the Bible every day. Of course, you say, you're a pastor. You're supposed, that's what we pay you to do is read the Bible. Hold on just a second. I read the Bible sermonically, and I do, and I study it, and I try to be a good student of the word of God and have something prepared for you every Sunday. And so I do study the the Bible sermonically, but I also study it devotionally. I study it for your soul sermonically and then for my soul devotionally. So what I'm reading right now, I'm in the book of First Peter and I'm loving reading that, but I'm also reading a book in the Old Testament. Every day for probably 15 years, I have read a chapter in this particular book. Anybody want to take a guess what it is? The book of Proverbs, that's right. And so today's Proverbs chapter six. So this morning I was up early before I was studying for this sermon and I was reading the word of God in the book of Proverbs. So let me encourage you, if you don't have a daily Bible reading plan, just open up the book of Proverbs and just start right there and, uh, and, and read it, whatever the day of the week is. So again, let me just welcome you after the service. My wife, she is uh, feeling not, not so good. She's at, at the house. And so Ashley, hello, I know you're watching us online, but I'll be happy to meet you and greet you over here uh, after the service. I would love to do that. Anybody else struggling with allergies, by the way? Any cedar foe? Oh, bless you. I see those hands. I see those, I see these things sprinkle throughout the, the church too. 
All right, so today we're going to look at uh, the Bible. We're going to study uh, a little bit of the life of Van Gogh, some more, Vincent Van Gogh. And then we're going to look at that particular painting that he painted in one day. In one day in 1885, he sat down and in honor of his father, who was a pastor, he, he painted, it's called Still Life with Bible. And then at the end of the service, I just want to take a few minutes of your time and just give you what I've come up with is just some practical points or some, some, some daily applications you can apply to your life based on the sermon, based on the painting, based on the scriptures and what they say to us today. So let me, let me just start by with a word of prayer. If I could get you to bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for you just this new year. God, thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for each person that is here today. And Lord, for some, it was a monumental effort for them just to get here. And Lord, they've had a tough 2018. And Lord, they're hoping that 2019 will be better, that it will have better health and better finances and, and, and more importantly, God, to have a better walk with you. So I'm praying that for them. And I'm asking you, God, today that as we begin this first Sunday of the new year, that Lord, it would be a grand auspicious way to begin this new year as we make fresh commitments to you. Lord, for some, this very day, they're going to take their first, it'll be a baby step, but it's going to be a first step toward God and the things of God and religious things and the Bible and prayer and worship. And Lord, I thank you for them. And Lord, may they know that they're in the company of friends and, and spiritual family, those that we, Lord, we are encouraging and holding up people today who are taking those first steps toward you. And for others, Lord, others have been walking with you for many years, and I'm just praying for them that you'd bless them, oh God. Let them know, Lord, they are on the right path, that your word is a lamp, it is a light. Never once, God, have you failed us. You're not failing us and never will you fail us because that's who you are. You're a good, good father. And we love you, Lord, and we love your word. And we're just praying now that as we open it, as we study it, that God, you'd speak to us profoundly and that we would take the message that you give us today and God, you would apply it to our lives and bless us, oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So the text today is Psalm 119, 105. And the context is that the whole chapter of Psalm 119 is committed to the Bible. Now, that's a fascinating chapter. When you look at it multiple times in this one chapter, it talks about the Word of God, the statutes of God, the commandments of God, the laws of God, the precepts of God, the decrees of God, all of these center on the word of God that he spoke to men and they wrote it down in Psalm 119. I mean, just the whole, you can just read the whole chapter in every verse, you will see a word, little w, about the word, big w. And I love this one. Your word, God, is a lamp. Uh, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and it is a light to my path. God's word gives clarity. God's word gives illumination. God's Word gives direction. Never once have you opened up the Bible and go, oh, wow, God is against me. God does not want me to know His will. Oh, no, this is awful. No, it's not that at all. In fact, when you open up the Bible, I mean, amazing things begin to happen. Almighty God, who spoke the universe into existence, the same God, the Father, who raised His Son, Jesus Christ, up from the dead, this same God has supernaturally given us a gift called the Bible. And it is precious indeed. And we, when we read it, our souls are blessed and nourished. I'm thinking of 1 Peter 2, 2 that says, as a newborn babe, desire 
desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by, thereby. That word desire in 1 Peter 2, 2 is actually an imperative command. As a newborn babe, as that baby, he or she is just desiring that mother's milk, that nutrient, right? That, that, that sustenance, that, that, that liquid nectar of life, that milk that that baby just desires and consumes. Peter says, that's the way we should be with God's word. We open it, we read it. It is a lamp to our feet, is a light unto our path. You know, there are three different ways that people respond to the Bible. And I, I don't mean to oversimplify or classify everybody here today, but you probably fall in one of these three categories. The first one is apathy. Apathy. To be apathetic is to be what? Just don't care. Yeah, it may be God's word. It, it may not be. I don't really care. And you, you may say, well, I, I don't really believe that theologically and philosophically, but you do believe it practically because you don't hardly ever read it, right? So you would be those that say, yeah, you got me on that one. I just don't rightly care. I just don't really have time. I mean, you know, I'm really busy and, you know, I got to watch ESPN, you know, and I got to watch the shopping network and man, I, I got to read all these, these periodicals and these magazines and, and I've got my work to do and I just don't really have time to read the Bible. So it's apathetic. Well, there's a word, there's a worse one. It's called antipathy. And antipathy says, I don't like the Bible. I'll never read the Bible. In fact, I hate the Bible because I've just had some bad experiences with people who say they love God and love the Bible. And so you would be antipathetic toward it. But then there are those of us that just absolutely adore it. <laughs> I mean, we adore the scriptures. We, we can't wait to get up in the morning and read the Bible. We can't wait to see what God has to say to us through the Bible. And so I don't know where you are on that spectrum today, but I hope all of us can get to that latter category where we absolutely love the God of the Bible and we read it, make fresh commitments to do so. In 2012, there was a mini series that was run on the television called uh, the, the Bible. And I found it fascinating that almost one third of the population in the United States watched that, that miniseries. So at least there is a fascination with the scriptures. There are people today, and I've read them and I continue to, to read them. I think it's somewhat of my job to read them. Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens and others that absolutely hate the Bible. I know Christopher Hitchens has, has passed on, but there are those that are just set out in very hostile toward the scripture. Now think of Voltaire. You remember Voltaire, the French philosopher in the 1700s in France? He said this, he said, in a hundred years, Christianity will be swept into antiquity and remembered no more. That's what he said in 1778. 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society began printing Bibles using his printing press. Maybe you've heard of this name, Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine died in 1809. He embodied the spirit of the Enlightenment. And there's a lot of things that I agree with Thomas Paine as I've read about him and read some of his works. The Age of Reason was the title of his. In fact, some believe that the Age of Reason was a real catalytic moment for our nascent country. When our country was coming together to form those 13 brand new NASA colonies, that books like the Age of Reason and Intellectualism, that, that really helped coalesce our nation 
into a unified body. And I agree with that and I appreciate that, but I don't appreciate a quote that he said one time. He said, I have personally gone through the Bible with my ax and I've cut down all of her trees and she is no more the Bible. And I thought, wow, man, that's pretty audacious. But who among us have I've really heard of Thomas Paine. Many of you are going, Thomas who? I don't, don't really, sound like he was a pain in the neck. But anyhow, I don't, I don't really know who, who exactly who that is. I have gone through the Bible and I've cut down all of its, with an ax, I've cut down all of its trees. In five years, there will not be a Bible in, in America, end of quote. Well, there, that's just another example of people that tried to build up and tear down. But Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I think about Dan Brown and his novel, The Da Vinci Code. I was fascinated with that because so many people were reading it. And, and in the book, it has little drops of, of truth and historical fact, but it's set within an ocean of misinformation and, and really some misleading data. In fact, part of his argument in The Da Vinci Code was that the early church, and I watched another documentary on the Bible that, that asserted this, that the early church, they suppressed other writings because they were trying to keep control. It was probably a patriarchal and some, some old fogey guys, they were just really trying to control this thing called Christianity. And therefore they would not open themselves up to what is, what's known today as the Gnostic writings. Well, I got to thinking about that and saying, well, why didn't they open themselves up to, for example, the Gospel of Thomas? Now, the Gospel of Thomas, by the way, was not written by Thomas, an apostle of Jesus. It was written by a Gnostic person in the second century. And it has data like this in it. It says, Peter said that women are not worthy of life. And no wonder the early church didn't include a writing like that. And it, goes, it actually gets worse. It says, Peter said women are not worthy of life. And Jesus said he's going to make Mary a male. For only those females who make themselves males are worthy of eternal life. Does that sound something like Jesus would say? Absolutely not. That's why the early church categorically dismissed, dismissed such heretical false teaching. Not that they were trying to usurp some kind of control because they recognized it as heretical and false. Now I've got like an eight or nine page document that I have written that gives an apologetic and a defense for the scripture. Why we only have 66 books, the canon of scripture, how we got it. And, I, and I'm, you're like, oh my word, you're going to keep us for two hours today. I mean, eight or nine pages of notes. Is that single spaced? <laughs> it is single spaced. But we, we, want to, we want to give this to you, seriously. I mean, we've got it. It's printed. It's ready. You contact us here at the church office. We'll send you a soft copy. If you want a hard copy, we'll send you. I'm only just kind of giving you the, the highlights today. So, Brother Dan, you're, you're pretty passionate about this, aren't you? And I really am. Do you all know any other book in the world that is as treasured as this book and as hated as this book? It seems interesting to me that those who surrender to the teachings and the authority of this book they seem to adore it and love it. But those on the other hand who question it and are skeptical and the skepticism leads to a dismissive spirit and attitude and they, they, they turn, turn against it. This book, by the way, has fallen on hard times in our country and in the West in general. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Thank you, Kathy Spencer. I continue to enjoy the world and everything in it. 
And a lady said, listen, if you're going to go to Europe, America, you better go fast because there may not be a Europe in the next few decades. And the reason she said these words were because immigration is flooding Europe and Europeans are not having other baby Europeans, but the immigrants are flooding it. And let me tell you something, they're not bringing Christianity with them, okay? He said, so if you want to get over to Europe, you better hurry and get on over there. But in America, I am just, I am just fascinated and somewhat nauseated by the disdain for the Bible. Because I get the intellectual postmodernism. I've studied it, I've read it, I've lectured on it. What is postmodernism? Postmodernism is, if I could just put it like this, all truth is relative. Your truth is not my truth. My truth may not be your truth. And in a very secular worldview, Postmodernism says we can be very, we can be very uh, religious and philosophical and metaphysical, and we can be so open-minded, but don't dare tell me that there's only one way to God and there's only one holy book. And they reject that. They categorically uh, reject it. In fact, I'm finding this correlation between the hard time the Bible is having, between the hard time the Constitution of the United States is having. It's really interesting. Well, that's what it meant back then. It's a fluid document and we can change it and make it to say what we want it to say. And that is what's being championed in our nation today. And what's good for the constitution is good for the Bible. It was written by a bunch of old folks that are already dead and I don't really have to believe it. I'll just make it say what I want it to say. And that's postmodernism defined. And, and you can have that attitude. And some of you have that attitude. You have that, and you're sitting here today and you have that attitude. You have been deeply indoctrinated by our public school system and especially by our universities that the Bible is just another book. If you can get anything good out of it, get it. But what you don't like, just categorically dismiss it. And I just want you, I just want you to know something. You have that right. You absolutely have that mental cognitive right to do that. But I would submit to you a better way to say, God, it's like Billy Graham. He went one, one time in 1949, he was sitting out in the woods by himself. And he had friends that were questioning the authenticity and the, and the authority of the Bible and, and like William Temp Templeton was, his friend. And Templeton told Graham, he said, listen, I've gone to Princeton. Man, I've been educated. That Bible is a bunch of fairy tales and, and myths and fables and I don't believe it anymore. And Billy Graham says, what? Man, you and I, remember in the 40s, we were in Europe, we were preaching and people were being saved and God was doing amazing things and we were preaching that book. He said, I don't believe that book anymore. And so Graham, he goes out into the woods and he sits down on a, on a stump and he goes, oh my word, my best friend, he doesn't believe the Bible anymore. All these academic people are saying the Bible's really not valid. He goes, God, what, what am I gonna do? And Billy Graham said these words. He said, God, I admit I don't understand everything that's written in this book, but God, by faith, I accept it as the word of God and I live my life according to it and I will preach it to the day I die. How many of you, uh, before today, how many of you have heard William Templeton's name? Just raise your hand. One, there's a few over here. Hardly anybody. William, how many of you heard Billy Graham's name? Just curious if you've ever heard him. Yeah. I love the Bible. I, I would say with Dr. Graham, there are things hard to understand. 
And Peter even said that about Paul. Remember that? He said, there are things Paul's written hard to understand. And we have the choice. We can say, I just debate it. I question it. I argue against it. Or I can accept it that it is God's word by faith. The Bible has amazing things to say about itself. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I love these words. All the Bible says, all scripture, theonoustos, is given by inspiration of God. And the Bible, the scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, you can say woman of God, child of God, whoever of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I love the Bible. I will always love the Bible. I will always preach the Bible. I know that some, uh, some of our pastor friends, especially in our nation, uh, have abandoned. In fact, one of the most popular, two probably the most popular preachers in America. I'm not going to mention any names, but you would know exactly who they are. One of them just said recently, we need to dismiss the Old Testament. And we just need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because all we really need is the New Testament. And I tell you, that, that disturbed me and that broke my heart. Another guy, the most popular preacher in the world every day, every Sunday, he raises his Bible and they say, this is the Word of God and we love the Bible. And he puts it down and you never see it again. I think, that's a, I think that's the primary reason for the problems in our nation today, because the men of God have quit believing the Bible and they've quit preaching the Bible and the results have been disastrous in our country. And I, I, I really believe, I'm not, looking at, I'm not looking at the White House, I'm not looking at the public schools, I'm looking at the churches in America, because here's the deal, if you want to a lot of people, if you want the crowds to come to your church, then you must abandon the Bible because the Bible will tell you you're a sinner and you need to repent. You need to get your life right with God. And for heaven's sake, we don't want to offend anybody because if I preach this Bible, then you might get convicted and you might get angry and you might leave. And those men, they're very wise and they know it. And so therefore they just say, hey, everybody, I'm okay, you're okay. Let's don't get so heavy and deep into the scriptures. Let's just talk about the ways we can have a happy, blessed life. And I think that is the detriment of our churches today. So what are you going to do about it? I think we all just ought to suck lemons and persimmons and all go home. How about that? That's, just, that's what we ought to do. Oh, remember what Paul told Timothy? He said, Timothy, in the last days, people are not going to hear the scriptures. They will flock to hear people who will tickle their ears. But for you, my friend, Caruso Tan Lagon, you preach. <laughs> you preach the word of God, Timothy, because that is life. That's where salvation is. That's where hope is. That's where really living is. So don't back down. Don't back up. Don't be intimidated. Don't be pushed around, Timothy. You stand up there in Ephesus and you open up the word of God. You preach the word of God and let the spirit of God do what only the spirit of God can do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with Timothy. I'm going to go with Paul. I want to go with the apostles and preach the word. I know it's falling on hard times.
And I know that, um, I know my life <laughs> would be a lot easier at times if I just didn't preach the Bible. But then I have to stand before God and give an account to my life. I'm not finished, but I'm, I've got to stop. Because that's point one, right? Point one. So. So what about Van Gogh? What happened to him? You know, what, what about the painting? You know what? That's why I'm here. I'm here to, I want to see the paint. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. Paintings are coming. Somebody told me the other day, they said, Pastor, thank you for preaching these sermons on the paintings. I'm learning a lot. And I said, I am too. As <laughs> I'm learning a whole lot about these artists. And I really am planning to get all seven sermons together with the pictures and have a coffee table book. Yeah. The painter, Vincent Van Gogh. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about him. I've, I've shared a lot about him in the past. I do recommend William Havlicek's book, Van Gogh's Untold Story. It's excellent. I love the way he includes the spiritual dynamics in Vincent Van Gogh's life. Many people totally dismiss Van Gogh's spirituality. I mean, for heaven's sake, he, he drank himself almost to death and that didn't do it and he killed himself. So what kind of spirituality is that? He was a very spiritual person. He was probably bipolar, incredibly depressed, had a very strained relationship with his father, dad, who was a, a, a pastor. Vincent Van Gogh tried to follow in his father's footsteps and he became a pastor. In Borneage, uh, Belgium, he was a pastor of a minor town and, and he loved those miners and he would get out there with them and, and teach them the Bible and he would uh, go visit them in their hospitals. He would actually go into the mines with them and the religious authorities told Vincent Van Gogh, you shouldn't be doing that. You should act more dignified than that. In fact, when you preach, and by the way, you're not a very good preacher after all, they told him that. And they said, and when you do preach, you look like scum, you're up there, you're not dressed up, you don't, look, you don't look the part, probably just be better if you didn't become a pastor anymore. Some people have the spiritual gift of discouragement, don't they? And so he said, forget it. And he really turned his back on religion and church, but he still had a very soft spot in his heart for Jesus. He loved Jesus and he loved the Bible. And I'll show you this in, in just a moment. And Vincent Van Gogh, I, I think about, um, you know, his life and the most famous painting of all was this one. There you go. Thank you. Can y'all see that? Well, that's one. Listen, that's a cool Christmas present. I'm not kidding you. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate that. That's the starry night. This is scaring me. I'm going to pull these things down. All right. But that's what he's known for, right? 1888, as he paints the starry night in an insane asylum in southern France. Just a couple of years before he takes a revolver and puts it in his chest and takes his life. And I think about that. And I, and I often think about some of these most gifted men and women we're, we're very disturbed men and women. And it's the same today. And I, and I find that many times genius is accompanied with depression. But there's so much help today. You know, I, I think about the help that Christian 
um, psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors can give those who are, who are troubled and disturbed. And, and, and all of us, by the way, don't, aren't all of us disturbed a little bit? Don't we all have hangups and habits and, and harmful attitudes and, and propensities to do things that we shouldn't do? And we do, we all do. And yet today there's so much help available and open to us. And I, I think of Vincent Van Gogh where to, oh my word, I never thought of it like this. If, what if he came to Great Hills? I wonder how he would be received. Oh, he's just that eccentric, crazy guy over there. No, he's a very gifted, brilliant genius. Maybe, I wonder if we would take somebody in like that and love them and disciple them and see them grow in Christ. You know, there's a, there's a ministry we're launching here in just a few days called Transform, and it's, it's going to be at 6 o'clock on Wednesdays. And, and it's for all of us that have hang-ups and habits and addictions or issues that we need help with. You come on out, 6 o'clock on Wednesday. And uh, thank you, Daniel Van Cleef. Thank you, Greg Bennett. Thank you, Colby Smith. Thank you guys for caring enough to put that together to help men and women overcome some of these anxieties and hardships and, and difficulties. I'm going to be teaching uh, Proverbs again and, and mentor. And Ross is going to be teaching a bunch of men on spiritual disciplines. Hey, we're, we're getting fired up to help our men at Great Hills Baptist Church. We, we're, we're really preparing hard for you men. Only thing we need you to do is to show up. You say, why are you talking to the men? Women got issues too, I, I know, but we got more. <laughs> we do. We, we just got issues, guys. We need help. We need God's spirit to help us and encourage us and fellowship and accountability. And Okay, there you go. I got to keep going. Vincent Van Gogh, amazing, starry night. Oh, did I, did I tell you I took his picture, not his picture, but his portrait uh, I took that picture there on the screen when I was in Washington, D.C. a few months ago in the National uh, Art Gallery there. It's one of 36 self-portraits that Vincent Van Gogh did, and we have one in our country. We have it right there in Washington, D.C. By the way, he painted over 900 paintings. Guess how many he sold in his lifetime? One. One. And when he died at age 37, if it weren't for Joanna, his sister-in-law, nobody would ever hurt him. She said he was too gifted of a mind and a brilliant genius of an artist for the world not to know him. So she collected all of his paintings and she preserved them for posterity. And there we, we have paintings like, like that. So let me show you the still life of the Bible. It's, um, it's very simple, it probably is my favorite. Still life with Bible. Let's go ahead and look at it. Just kind of soak that in for just a moment. That is unmistakably the Bible. And Van Gogh, he painted this in 1885. Like I said a moment ago, it took him one day to do it. Havlicek says, painted only a few weeks after the death of his father, Vincent portrays the family Bible, bathed in light reminiscent of Rembrandt. This was Vincent's way of honoring his father's legacy. It's in Amsterdam today in the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. You can't really see it, but the Bible is actually opened up to a particular passage of Scripture. 
And the passage of scripture is, you can't see it, but it's written, it's Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 is where the Bible opens. Isaiah 53, 6 describes the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. It says it was a man uh, well acquainted with sorrows and, 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 very, and, and, and difficulty. And many believe, myself included, that, I, that Vincent, he, he chose this. Van Gogh chose this passage because he too was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with difficulty. There's a couple other noticeable things on this, on this painting. You have some candles, you have the Word of God, and then you have a novel. And the novel is a French novel by Emily Zola called The Joy of Living. That's not what it's really called. That's the English translation, but I never took French and I would butcher it if I tried to give it to you, but it's written right here. And it's a fascinating novel about a young girl, 10-year-old girl whose parents died. She went to live with her father's family and they were a mess. Her father's family was an absolute train wreck and they were so pessimistic and they were so difficult and they were so negative. And yet Emily Zola paints this, this novel, this fictitious character, and she is just the opposite of that. Pauline is a, is a joy-filled, optimistic individual and many believe, and, or Vincent Van Gogh wouldn't have painted, that was one of his favorite novels beside the Bible here, was this called The Joy of Living. One critique I read about this painting, let me, let me read it to you real quick. It's, I think it's very, very interesting. It says, the Bible is open. We're confronted with its pages. But that only emphasizes how there's no way through Van Gogh's paint to Isaiah's prophecy. His voice has been translated into thickly pasted pigment, into fat streaks and slabs, close, closely packed to get gestures going up and across. The gap between what we see and what's meant to be, well, it's wrenching. That's what one art critic, how he describes it. And then the same art critic says, but is there another way to look at it? Is the effect skeptical, telling us that the old Bible, the old message is beyond us, that its preaching is only dead matter? Or, or is there something else? Is it expressive, giving this passage more than linguistic power, filling it with a physical force? The painted word is the word made flesh. In the Museum of the Bible, which I highly recommend um, every follower of Christ, if you can get out to Washington, D.C. and go see the, um, the Museum of the Bible, can we just leave that up there for just a few minutes? I just love that painting. And whoever you is, whoever you is, that's bad grammar, but let me, let me start over. Whoever you is, whoever you are, that you win this, and it's a big one too, I hope you cherish it. And I hope you put it in a prominent, conspicuous place in your house or in your office because it's very, very profound. It's very powerful. In the Museum of the Bible, there's a quote by Vincent Van Gogh. And I'm going to put this on the, uh, on the picture here. I don't know if you can read it or not, but I want to I read it to you. Van Gogh says, this is a letter to Theo Van Gogh in 1877. Now, Theo is his youngest brother, younger brother, who's married to Joanna and Joanna's the one that's preserved all of his paintings. Van Gogh says, I cannot tell you how much I sometimes long 
for the Bible. I read it daily, but I would really like to know it by heart and to see life in the light of the phrase that says, your word is a light for my path and it is a lamp unto my feet. You ever heard, you ever heard that before? Psalm 119, 105. As I close today, I want to share with you five very fast, very quick, just practical points of application. Then we'll have our invitation and we'll be dismissed in a few minutes. The first thing I want to share with you by way of application is the scriptures, the Bible. It really is God's gift to us. It's written over 1,400 years. Three languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, three continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. 40 different authors, some of them were scholars and poets, some were warriors, some were shepherds, and some were fishermen. <laughs> but they all have the central message from Genesis to Revelation. And, and it's a divine romance that goes something like this. God is awesome, God is great, he created the world. But mankind is, is flawed and we've sinned and we've, and we've all fallen out of God's favor. We all need help, we all need a rescuer, we all need a savior, and God sent Jesus. And Jesus died on a cross, and he was placed in a tomb, and on the third day he arose from the dead, and everybody that believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is God's gift to us. Number two, let's pray for those where having a Bible is prohibited. There are many countries in our nation that if you own a copy of the scriptures, it could cost you your life. And I'll give you just three. North Korea, Somalia, and Uzbekistan. Elena Francis writes this in her, in her article about North Korea. In this totalitarian state, the only thing that North Koreans are permitted to worship is the nation's leader, Kim Jong-un. Bibles are banned, and those found in possession of one face imprisonment, torture, and even death as do up to three generations of their family. So if you're caught with the Bible, you're gonna to be tortured and killed. So will your child and so will their children, your grandchildren, if you are caught with one single copy. Nick Ripkin talks about in the insanity of God, he says, there are believers today, today, they'll take a Bible and they'll have one, the whole church has one copy and they take it and they gingerly rip it apart. They tear it out piece by piece and they kiss it and then they hand it off to the church authorities and leadership because nobody can have one copy. And if they confiscate that one copy, that's the only copy the entire church has. So they tear out the pages and they give it to the pastors and the deacons and the elders and they say, cherish this with your life because a small or a portion of the word of God is better than no word of God at all. They will die. They will die for what you and I will dearly open up and read because we're busy and we got things we got to do. Number three, the Bible will guide you in your life. It will comfort you in hard times. It will empower you in tempting times. But I want to add another one. It will convict yourself to the core. And that's why we don't want to read it sometimes. 
That's why we want to dismiss it. That's why a Dawkins and a Hitchens, they hate it. Because they said, if you agree to the Bible, then you, then you can't sleep with your mistresses. And you can't fulfill your, your inebriated drunkenness because if you read that book, it prohibits that. So that book's wrong. That book is wrong. I'm, and I heard Richard Dawkins say this with my own ears. I listened to him say it to a group of students at Oxford University. Do you think God cares whether you sleep with for heaven's sake? <laughs> then they just cackled and laughed. The book of Proverbs says, yeah, God cares. And if you sleep with somebody you shouldn't, God's going to judge you. Who wants to read that? I do. Because I want to go to heaven, hallelujah, and I don't want to die in my sin and go to hell. I'll read it. Thank you very much. That's just my humble and accurate opinion. Number four, <laughs> read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to apply the teachings of Scripture to your life. If you will, read it and say, God, speak to me through it. Oh, he loves to answer that prayer. And then the last thing is this. <laughs> This is pretty controversial. It really is. The vast majority of the pulpits in America today will reference the Bible, but they will not preach it. There will not be a systematic, detailed, expositional, textual-driven message where the substance, the style, the spirit of the sermon is predicated on the Bible. You say, well, you didn't do that today. And you know what? You're right. I didn't. But if you'll give me just a couple of weeks, we finish the paintings, we're going to go through the book of Acts. Every single word, we're going to read it, we're going to study it, and we're going to ask God to apply it to our lives. You say, well, good luck with that. Because who wants to do a systematic, detailed, textual driven where the substance style and spirit of the sermon is all predicated on the Holy Bible. Then who wants to do that? Thank you, Stan. Thank you. God bless y'all. I am too. And I'll, I'll be here. We'll, we'll be here. Ooh, I hesitated to tell y'all this one. Cause some of you gonna get mad. I, I didn't say it, so I'll just say it like this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it. I'll say it. We'll pray, then I'll run. I'm going to run out the door. <laughs> he said, some of you in your home can take your finger and with the dust on your Bible, write the word condemned. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Quit looking at me like that. Let me just let me get down here. And, Hey. <laughs> hey, remember the socks, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> For some of you today, I, I really believe, and, and, I, and I would say this to you, whatever religion you're going to choose, it's all predicated on faith. You have to believe. And I was thinking about this yesterday, and, and I thought about, well, why would I choose this one? Because there's only one person who claimed to be God who conquered the very thing that I'm going to face one day, and that is death. The mortality rate is incredibly high. For every person born, they die. 
And then we face judgment. We face God. So I, I, as I thought about it, and I've studied all the world religions, and I've studied almost all the cultic groups, and I continue to study them. And the thing that just shines like the brilliant sun is Jesus, and he's beautiful. He's glorious. You don't know him unless four men decided that we would know him. Matthew, <laughs> help me. Mark, Luke, and John. Praise God for those four evangelists. Some of you today, I, I invite you to receive the Lord Jesus into your heart and into your mind. It's not a, it's not a, a leap in the darkness. It is definitely a step into the light. If you, if you confess your sins and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I don't, I don't understand everything and I, I just need help and, and, and Jesus be my Savior. And he will. And others of you today, I'm... I really want to come alongside you and I want to encourage you this, with this word that every day, every, even if it's just a few moments of a day, open up the book of Proverbs and just read for a few minutes. And at the end of 2019, when this is over, if your life is not incredibly blessed and enriched, then I would wish you would tell me because you would be the very first person that I've ever met who took God's word seriously and read it and meditated on it and, and devotionally read it and God blessed them, encouraged them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our time together. I'm, I'm always grateful, God, for the opportunity to, to preach your word, to preach about your word. And thank you for Great Hills Baptist Church, Lord, for many many years from her very inception, 60 plus years ago, it's been a church, God, that loves your word, stands on your word. Lord, we are imperfect people. I am a most imperfect pastor. And I wish, Lord, I wish I could live my life every day, every moment of every day, completely in obedience to your word. And I don't, and I pray that you forgive me of that. And I pray that you'd forgive us. And help us, Lord, help us to, to love you more, to learn more from you, read your word, pray to you, share our faith, help us grow in our relationship with you. Lord, thank you that, that the fountain of God's grace is overflowing and Lord, you forgive and you give grace and you give mercy where we deserve judgment, where we deserve misery. God, you replace that with grace and love and joy and peace and all we have to do is trust in you and believe. I pray that. I pray that even today that there would be trust and faith and belief. There would be hope, God. That, God, you are the God that you say you are and that you are not, as the song so beautifully said a moment ago, you are not against us, but you're very much for us. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, John 3, 17. Lord, as we stand in a moment, as we sing your praise, Lord, I pray there would be commitments made throughout this sanctuary and through our Facebook Live and through our online presence. God, there would be people watching this all over and they would just all in an, in, in, just unanimously say, we love you, God. We trust you, God. We believe in your word. We want to live for you. Forgive us, O oh God, of our sins. And we make a fresh commitment to live 2019 in allegiance, in obedience to the King. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as you stand. We're going to sing praise to the Lord. We're going to have pastors and ministers and folks here at the front. We'd love to pray for you, love to encourage you. God bless you as you come.